0: This is our point with Zach and Carmen. Hello. How's your day going?
1: Good. It's a good day.
0: It is a good day.
1: Is know, the sun shining? It's, <laughs> it's cloudy. It's cloudy here. It's rainy, actually, but.
0: Oh, keep it over there. We don't need that. I don't
1: know. It's. It's fine. It just means when it rains, another excuse at some point. uh,
0: It's an excuse to stay inside when it rains because we need more of those. I guess it'll it'll
1: aid in social distancing because people aren't going to be out. Yeah, should be out clogging the bike trails.
0: Well, you need to get your your prize from your mayor over there. The Sioux Falls mayor is giving out prizes for people to like be physically fit and get outside and like clog the bike trails. So. Seems like a real great idea.
1: I will not be getting a prize, much to your <laughs> shock, I assume.
0: Yes. I what, what are you drinking over there? You still on your Corona kick?
1: I'm still drinking Corona. I there's a lime in it, which is fruit, which makes it brunch.
0: No. Just don't um, ask any questions. Well, I can't say anything. I'm not too original. I'm still drinking my blueberry beer. So, I mean, why mess with? What a are good you thing.
1: pairing with that blueberry beer, Zach?
0: Well, unfortunately, I have leftover Girl Scout cookies sitting next to me, lemonades, and I think they're in a Ziploc bag. So I think that I'm only going to have one, and I zip the bag back up only to like have my fingers dance over there and just sneak one more out. So mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'm trying.
0: Willpower, I'm trying.
1: Yeah. But the thing about it's nice when they're in a Ziploc bag – because when you open the box and then the plastic cookie tray, crinkle, crinkle, crinkles, <laughs> that'd be really noisy. Yes, uh, it's
0: much quieter. And you so, also don't, if you take them out of the little plastic tray or the sleeve and just put them in a bag, you don't feel as bad about demolishing an entire sleeve or tray of cookies because you just don't see the,
1: the tray. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's a psychological move, and well, I, I support that. We
0: support mental health, so...
1: So I should also ask, what are you wearing?
0: What? Oh, Carmen, I thought you'd never <laughs> ask. I am wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt. Classic. I have some oh, yoga pants. Where, is, I was like, is this where I ask, what are you wearing, <laughs> well, I was going to
1: tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing yoga pants that have not seen yoga in a good year. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got this shirt for my birthday, and it says, I support plant- parenthood
0: i just <laughs> i just can't with you
1: because i became a crazy plant person last year anyway so there, the, the la times last week two weeks ago uh they had an article that said basically enough with the work from home sweatpants dress like the adult you're getting paid to be <laughs> and let me tell you were they lecturing us It did not go well for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Yeah, they were. They were like, you know what?
0: Um, I just can't. It was just a really
1: like condescending uh, way to chase people who are doing their fucking best. Um, That, you know, like maybe you just need to look a little nicer. (laughs) Uh, And so the article I chose... Uh, is from Esquire, and the title is "Hey, LA Times, keep your condescending paws off my sweatpants" by Ben Bozhkovich. Oh. oh, Ben! Because let me tell ben you, Ben has
0: had enough. He is over it.
1: <laughs> I am not here for this. Uh, yeah, so I think the the work from home options we, my company, does. Uh, Almost exclusively video calls. So we're on with all of our staff. We're on with our members of Congress and their staff. We love um, the the video calls, which only like obviously you have to look professional. But I'm not standing in a like full body mirror while I'm listening to what's happening in public health these days. Uh, So I will be wearing sweatpants or yoga pants or what have you and don't why 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 are people well complaining about things they can't see in the first place? Leave me alone.
0: Well, there's a part of me that's like keep your eyes on your own paper. Like (laughs) (laughs) just you clearly have nothing else to worry about right now or to spend time on during a global pandemic and people losing their jobs and the economy tanking and people getting sick and not having enough PBEs uh did you clearly have to tweet about sweatpants so it just makes no sense why do you care
1: well and if i'm working not that i wore pantyhose to the office in the first place but i'm that's not the setting that i'm in like i'm not going to wear shoes in my house i'm not going to when it gets warm out i might throw a dress on honestly because that's a comfortable thing that you can wear
0: people wear inappropriate clothes to work when we're in the office. People wear inappropriate clothes out in public. So why would we think that people wouldn't wear inappropriate clothes in their own homes? Like people are always letting us down.
1: And we're just doing the best we can. That's all that's all we're saying. So you know what? Try try to wear clothes, try to dress professionally from the waist up. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, I want to. Whoever sent that tweet, I think, should be required to post what they are wearing every day. So everybody can critique their outfit and their mental stability. Um, and I bet you that person's going to wear pink and red together. I'm just going to throw it out there and assume <laughs> it's that type of horrible person.
1: Uh, it's actually the paper's deputy fashion editor who wrote the original article for the LA times and, um, but I'm sure if we were just wearing wrote down like, his disgust and let me tell you, I, well, I'm sure
0: if we were wearing $300 gray sweatpants, they would be more acceptable than as opposed well, to the, and $20 so the original gray sweatpants.
1: author talked about scrolling past a photo of Vogue editor in chief, Anna Wintour sitting in her home office in sweatpants. Oh, really? Really? You're going to critique Anna Wintour for, I bet they were, very stylish and expensive sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, And he also criticized Chris Cuomo, who was hunkered down in his basement because he was literally recovering from COVID-19 and he had on a casual shirt instead of a jacket. <clears throat> now, I will say because it's our podcast and this is my point, but when my governor stepped up to a press conference uh, in, a, in a cap Well, well, baseball cap, she did not instill in me a lot of faith in my government and not because she's a lady. Obviously, if you know me or you've listened to this podcast for now for a while, I'm not criticizing what the ladies wear versus, you know, what Mayor Paulton Hankin is wearing because he's also up there in a very casual shirt some days. They're not working from home. They're working from their government offices which I pay for with my tax dollars and they I would like them to dress more professionally and I would like the LA Times to stop critiquing what I wear.
0: To back off. I imagine that the LA Times person who that editor, fashion editor, who is so keenly in tune with what's going on in the world, is also the person that is just completely shocked by the fact that America cannot get its stuff together when we're in the middle of a complete crisis and meltdown, Um, which brings me to this article um, I found at The Atlantic. We've been real popular with The Atlantic lately um, called We Are Living in a Failed State, by George Packer. And this is a longer read, um, but it really highlights a point that we are not like just all of a sudden failing that America has been broken for quite some time. And that people who are shocked and dismayed by the fact that our political system and our government is not working have been living under a complete bubble um, that has just been rudely popped by the coronavirus. It goes on to talk about, um, you know, definitely over the last thirty years, we just have kind of been living in fantasy land. Um, from when nine eleven happened, right, we were still kind of stuck in this Cold War mentality, um, and we weren't really thinking about uh, modern warfare being up to date. To two thousand and eight, um, the financial crisis that we again didn't see huge. Red flashing lights on inequality, right? That these banks just made reckless decisions, and we basically rewarded them. The article goes on to say that mm-hmm. they have a quote from uh, a big bank CEO that just called the recession a speed bump, not necessarily a resetting uh, of of the method, um, and that
1: you couldn't yeah. see me because this is a podcast, but I just waved my middle finger at yes, that, it was that bank executive.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, it goes on to talk about, um, of course, the state that we're in now with President Trump. And of course, it kind of has a anti-Republican slant to it. But I think that that is justified, in my opinion, because it talks a lot about basically there has been a political party. Not that both are innocent in this Um, because clearly Democrats and Republicans have both been in control during the last 30-year time span. But there is one political party that for the last 30-plus years has really spent a lot of time and energy um, demonizing government and giving a lot of reasons why it shouldn't exist and going out of their way to make sure that either agencies have been stripped, that uh, federal employees have
1: been terminated
0: you know, really grinding up the gears to make things ineffective to prove their point.
1: When you hate government and then you elect people who hate government and then they destroy the government, you know, like it's a it's a cyclical problem. And you're Yes, and you can't be
0: surprised that the government doesn't work.
1: Right. And the government isn't a business and you can't run government like a business because the government is there to provide a safety net for people. And the yeah, the people who thought that the the system was working meant you know it was working for them
0: yeah not that it was, was
1: working for everyone exactly and it you, was you and working I for them about, until
0: it wasn't working for them
1: you know we've both been on unemployment on different times and kind of navigating that system and how it's not okay awesome and right and now there are Millions and millions and millions of people trying to navigate the system for the first time. Again, this is our my argument that goes back to when you're supposed to fill out your unemployment claim online and you don't have access to anything online and the libraries are closed, which is where you normally would have went. All of these things are exacerbated. And then when you look at the COVID-19 and the people, when they break down who is dying and who are more largely affected, it's your African-American, it's your American Indian, it's uh, these racial demographics, because they the system already wasn't working for them. They already have health disparities. They already have they're already living in cramped quarters. Um you talk about American Indian reservations with they live in homes without water. And so you're talking about homeless populations who like they're not thinking about which cute song will I sing for 20 seconds? Oh, ha ha ha. Uh, no, they don't have water. They don't have access to water. They don't have the ability to social distance. And that is, this is our failed state. And now we we're not, and that's people keep saying we're all in this together and we're not because not everyone is experiencing the same
0: side of the pandemic that they are. It talks about, you know, interestingly, of course, we have become more and more, uh, polarized um, and partisan and you know how really this is a virus that really is the first quote-unquote war that we face in the homeland um, in quite some time and we haven't been able to to band together right it, it talks about 9-11 how people in the heartland who had never been to New York City never seen a big city didn't view it as an attack on the big city or the liberals that lived in New York they saw it as an attack on America and New York just happened to be the spot that it, that, it, that it happened in, right? But now we are seeing, you know, our political leaders, especially Mitch McConnell, you know, when, again, New York, New York State is facing a crisis and they're, again, taking the brunt of the pandemic, largely because it is our largest city. People live in close proximity. We could go on on and on. I mean, it's the entry point for lots of international travel. It is the financial center of the world. Like there's a lot of factors here at play, but when they are facing, you know, cash shortfalls or they might need additional resources, Mitch McConnell basically tells them that they can go bankrupt because it's (laughs) because a lot of Democrats live there. Um, but the reality is New York state pays more money into the federal government than they get out, right? They are a, a they are running in the black for what they give as opposed to what they take out. And then you have States like Kentucky, Indiana, uh, South Dakota, South Dakota, that, you know, the amount of money they give to the federal government, they get back, you know, a large percentage of increase. Right. So if you want to look about States that are benefiting from, you know, these liberal States that pay in more taxes and provide to the federal government, um, you know, it's South Dakota is getting a better end of the stick than New York state is. Um, But we never used to view it as that, right? It was an attack on America, just like this pandemic is not an attack on the liberals and the Democrats that live there. Um, And just kind of that mentality. But we also can't be surprised that we are unprepared when you look at the Trump administration who was draining the swamp, right, but proceeded to eviscerate federal employees there are a large swaths of the federal government that are still not staffed adequately we still do not have deputy secretaries we have people in charge of departments that you know are, are running health departments that have never are doctors that have never ran health organizations before in See, you know
1: isn't Jesse the boss running the yeah, education I mean, system and she's not at zero you can't like be surprised
0: like then of course that the government fails so Um, I think this is a little bit of a wake-up call, again, that we have been living in a dysfunctional um, system for a very long time. We just haven't been tested. And finally, the test came, and we are failing it. We are the wealthiest country on the face of the planet, the number one superpower, and we have the United Nations sending us protective gear. Like, wrap your head around that.
1: And on that note, we're going to pause to hear from one of our sponsors. So, I know several of you, when you found out we were doing a podcast, uh, you went to your favorite podcast channel or what I don't know, platform, favorite platform, and subscribed. And when you did that, you read our bio, which we spent a lot of time on. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and it ends with um, We decided to start podcasting as a way to stay connected beyond disliking people and gossiping about our friends. Mm-hmm. And so my uh, my article today, also from The Atlantic, uh, it's just called Gossiping is Good. And it's under the subheading science. So the surprising virtues of talking behind people's back. And I think we had mentioned this maybe in the last episode about how we only find articles that reinforce our own worldview. Well, that's and why we is- have a
0: podcast and others don't. <laughs>
1: So thanks for listening. Uh, So it talks about how like you think gossip is bad. That's what people say. Uh, However, there is a significant body of research that suggests that gossip may in fact be healthy and (laughs) like children gossip. Uh, It's, it's pretty timeless. It's kind of a way to pass the time. And despite its dodgy reputation, a uh, surprisingly small share of it, according to the article, as little as 3 to 4% is actually malicious. And it, what it does is it brings people together. Because if you have two people who share negative feelings about a third person, they feel closer to each other. And they feel uh, more so than if they felt positively about that person. Like, oh, my God, I love them. Oh, my God, I love them too. And that's kind of like the end of the conversation. But if instead you're like, oh, my God, that person drives me crazy. And you're like, oh, my God, that person drives me crazy. And then now we have bonded over, well, over for some talking reason, shit for some about reason, this person.
0: We like to be miserable together. We like to know that we are not the only people that feel this way.
1: Well, but it doesn't make us miserable, though. It, negative gossip makes people prouder of themselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, because we tear other people down to make ourselves feel better.
1: Um, and then in a, yet another study, it says negative gossip um, can have a pro-social effect on those who are gossiped about. Uh, because researchers found that they reformed their ways in an attempt to regain the approval of the people they had alienated. So now we're making ourselves feel better. We're bonding with each other. And we're actually convincing other people to change their behavior and not be so fucking annoying. So (laughs) I feel like, good job, us. Long live gossiping. Well, well, and like,
0: Gossiping doesn't necessarily have to be negative. You can have some positive gossip, right? Mm-hmm. Like we gossiped um, about potential people being pregnant. That can be positive. We can gossip about people that are um, potentially getting, I mean, we do this at work, people that we think are applying for new jobs or like in the hunt for a specific position. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that their haircut's horrible.
1: That's true. There, there can be.
0: Look at me trying to be positive.
1: That's, I mean.
0: I mean, let's be honest. We don't spend most of our time gossiping on stuff like that. But no, if it's good, if our podcast is going to live on forever, we should at least pretend like sometimes we do that.
1: I mean, no? we've yes, already yes. made what sixty cents on our ads, so we're well on our way. We don't need we, you people. <laughs>
0: we are well on our way. I mean, people have already been giving me some hate mail, so I can gossip about them all I want.
1: I'm excited. I don't. I don't think I know about the hate mail. I'm.
0: You were on the same hate mail email that I was about me not supporting your traumatic (laughs) fourth grade gym class. (laughs) That listener knows where they are. (laughs) Because
1: learning how to play. You're right. That wasn't about me. So I was like, oh, what hate (laughs) mail? What's going on? Uh,
0: That's funny. Um,
1: Yes. Please continue to send your (laughs) comments about how I'm right and Zach is wrong.
0: Yeah, at um,
1: Toft on Twitter or rpointpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, that is great. Well, we are going to shift gears from the lighthearted to um, a topic that is not as fun um, to talk about. But I think something that people are not talking about a whole lot, which I find interesting. Um, and it was something that I came across this morning on Politico, um, which is written by Holly Otterbein. Or Otterbein. We really should figure out, like, I wish there was a button to say, like, here's how I pronounce my name. But it is entitled New Evidence Surfaces and Tara Reid Allegations Against Joe Biden. Um, And for those that have not paid attention, there has been a couple of um, allegations um, that have been made against former Vice President Biden. Of course, there's been, like, he touched my shoulders, you know, touched my hair, breathed down my ear. Um, those comments, but then there has been an allegation from uh, Tara Reid um, earlier, probably not the actress, month, not the actress, a month or two ago. She wasn't actually a former staffer of um, then Senator Biden. Um, it said that he, I don't know, I can't. I mean, we're on a podcast, so I can say whatever. That he uh, fingered her, um, <laughs> and that's really uncomfortable to say out loud. Gross. Um, on top of you know the creepy shoulder hair um, conversations, and initially it was really dismissed, and of course, the Biden campaign put out a long statement being you know the vice president has dedicated his public life to changing the culture and laws around violence against women. He authored and fought for the passage of the reauthorization of the landmark Violence Against Women Act. Um, he firmly believes that women have the right to be heard and heard respectfully. Such claims should be diligently reviewed by an independent press. What is clear about this claim is that it is untrue. This absolutely did not happen. So, um, obviously, I think this allegation deserves, you know, appropriate scrutiny. Like, it needs to be looked into. You know, women do not usually, well, they don't lie about these types of situations, right? Like, um,
1: right, because it really never ends up well. No. For the ladies. Like this, and this is article not your way to
0: Yeah. To fame uh, and glory is doing no. this. And it's incredibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable to have your name forever tagged to these these stories while the man gets to go on and have their illustrious career and maintain their reputation. Um, but this article talks specifically that a nineteen ninety-three video resurfaced that showed Tara Reed's mother who called into the then Larry King live TV show. And talked about her daughter being, um, didn't say sexually assaulted, but assaulted um, by a very prominent senator. So it, it, you know, the video has resurfaced of Tara's mom calling in and and talking about this circumstance, um, not in graphic detail, but that it had just happened with a predominant, you know, prominent senator, and that her daughter, you know, had a lot of respect for, for the senator and what he was doing. And so she didn't want to of course, name his name and make a huge uh, hubble about it, right? She thought that her only option really was to go to the press, and she didn't want to do that. And then, of course, she was fired from the vice president's um, um, staff. So clearly there is something there.
1: So this is the new evidence, right? Is this this, this is the video? video is yeah, where about with called in mom. and okay.
0: talked about a, a, a similar circumstance um, back in 1993.
1: So, I think there's definitely uh, a s- subset, a group, uh, a large chunk of the feminists that struggle with Joe Biden anyway and have for years um, based on the Anita Hill trial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what I mean, he, the man is 78 years old. He's run for president. This is his third time third running time. for president. So, he has a very long career and what we I think have learned through a lot of me too the Me Too movement and, and Me Too stories and um that really few people uh haven't run into some kind of issue in their 78 years. And so the the Terror thing I haven't paid as much attention to um, Basically, because if I—I I mean, he's my—he's my candidate. Like, not voting is not an option, and for me, yeah. At,
0: at this point of the race, because we're at a binary choice, right, you really get Donald Trump or Joe Biden,
1: right? And and voting third party is not an option. Not voting is not an option, and for those people who tell you it is, they are wrong. So I. He's it. He's he's my choice. And uh, does that mean that Tara Reed is wrong? No. Does that mean that she doesn't deserve some justice for being fired? Absolutely not. But I don't really have any other choice. And when we put, you know, Joe Biden up against Donald Trump, who is also uh, an accused, um, yeah, over sixty multiple women. times, right, yeah, of sexual assault, where he paid off a porn star. Um, bragged about grabbing women by the pussy. I, I don't, like, that's not my, it's not like, it's Joe Biden up against Mitt Romney, right? Because then you might go to yourself, like, okay, if I have standards that I'm not willing to mm-hmm. cross, then boy, I might have to think really hard about that. But if my two choices are Joe Biden and Donald Trump, that's not, it's not even a choice. Yeah, and um, it's
0: like, goes back to, like, why this hasn't been covered as much, is it's like, well, at the same time, you Rightfully so, are criticizing. And I think Joe Biden needs to answer for these allegations. And, you know, we need to get to the bottom of it. But you're also the man in the White House has had 60 women accuse him of sexual assault. He talks about women's looks on, like, in front of national press conferences, in front of cameras. He, you know, has a video of him talking about grabbing women inappropriately. He, is you know treats women unfairly all the time and so (laughs) you're going up against somebody um who is a repeat offender over and over again so i mean it's kind of a wash
1: well and you know we we've ended up with obviously joe biden isn't the first american politician to face these kind of allegations and didn't go so well for al franken um you know, Doug Jones barely beat Roy Moore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, not awesome. I mean, Doug Jones great, Roy Moore not great. Uh, and so it's um, it's unfortunate. And you know what's going to solve this? More ladies in office.
0: Yeah, a hundred, hundred percent.
1: So um, let's get you. to that uh, yes. that point, and then we won't have to deal with this as much because I do think I think we talked about um. Amy Klobuchar, uh, briefly in our last article, I'm not worried mm-hmm. about sexual assault allegations um, from Amy Klobuchar. No, she but has you some might other. Be, she has some other you allegations. Might
0: be worried about her being a really horrible human, but um... <laughs> um,
1: and there there seem to be some other acts of of violence, um, but not sexual. So yeah,
0: it's just really interesting. I imagine there is going to be um. More of these stories will probably come up if I was to to bet, unfortunately, right? Because it usually just doesn't happen once, like we've seen with our current president. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I hope Joe Biden and his team take a moment to <laughs> reflect upon this and to handle it appropriately and give it the attention and the seriousness that these allegations deserve from these women. Um, and hopefully Tara Reid, um, you know, is believed.
1: So do you know, because like, like I said, I really haven't um, read too much. So what is, is Tara Reid just saying like, hey, this happened to me and I need you to acknowledge it because this man is now like up for president. Well, so like what's her? Like the,
0: the Tara Reid, I mean, it's complicated, right? Because she has also been a huge like, very vocal Bernie Sanders supporter since 2016, and there was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, her first allegations came out kind of in the beginning of the primary. Um, And, you know, it's really skewed as seen as trying to take down Joe Biden so Bernie would win. And so, I mean, but that doesn't mean just because she supports and advocates for a different candidate that what happened to her also isn't truthful, right? I think those those two things can coexist, but I think it also in today's political climate and when you're talking about huge national elections, unfortunately, those circumstances do play into whether or not the credibility of the media like choosing to chase the story or not, right? It is much easier for Joe Biden and his team to um, brush this off when it is... Hardcore Bernie Sanders supporter and has been incredibly vocal as opposed to right because that,
1: then that's what the story becomes about and 100%. we're not talking about the, the the sexual assault allegation. Yeah,
0: it's complicated, but I imagine it is going to continue, unfortunately, until we get more women in office. That's a good. That's a good spot. So that's any a good closing, spot to end. Any closing?
1: I do. I'm already with my cl- my parting thought. Parting thought. Uh, so we were talking. About um, sexual harassment and believing women. And so I read a really phenomenal book last year called She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey. And it chronicles their journalists for the New York Times. And it um, really follows the whole story about how they talked, um, like, kind of broke a lot of the story on Harvey Weinstein and how they had to go through you know it was so difficult to talk to uh, women because they either had non-disclosure agreements or they had been fired and they were you know spread across the globe and there was one person they couldn't find her and so they ended up talking to her husband and her husband was like i don't know what you're talking about like her nda was so strong that her husband had no idea what had happened to her in her previous career and working for harvey weinstein uh, and then in a little bit toward the end of the book, um, there's this whole thing about um, United States Supreme Court Justice Brad Kavanaugh uh, and his um, sexual assault allegations. And it's just a really incredible book. So if you're interested in this topic, I highly, highly recommend it.
0: That's great. Um, I uh, My parting thought is a little bit more processy. So um, for all those folks listening to our podcast, um, Please give us a, a review, preferably a positive review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Anchor, um, wherever you listen to our podcast. That's going to help us become an even bigger hit than we already are. So please leave us a rating and a review.
1: Thanks for taking care of the actual promotion where I'm like, read <laughs> someone <welcome>. else's book.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's great. All right. I'll chat with you later. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Our Point. To stay up to date and for links of the articles that we discussed in this podcast, join us on Facebook and Twitter at Our Point Podcast. If you have articles that you would like us to discuss, feel free to tag us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at ourpointpodcast at gmail.com.